Welcome back to another episode of Roommates. It's your boy Tyrus Powell and my main man Cardell Jones. Cardell, what's going on, bro? I hear you on the uh weight diet type thing, bro. Look, <laughs> tell them about it. Man, I wouldn't call it a weight diet. I mean, listen, I uh, understand. Look, the summer coming up, you got to get ready to take your shirt off, baby. Come on. Go, go ahead. Tell them what, what you got. What you got going on? Just a little five-day um of fasting to get my body back into better eating habits, eliminate some of the cravings. Cause you know, man, so, how so, the late night is around campus. You got kings, you got roosters, you got you got wings over, you got insomnia cookies. I'm trying to get that. Hey, hold on now. You'd have brought up something now. You what you doing about yeah. insomnia cookies now? Hold <laughs> on now. <laughs> yeah, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get those cravings out of me right now. But, so you uh, tell it so you ain't you ain't on the popo no more. No, I'm trying know? to I'm trying to <laughs> Yo, Popo, come on, man. Yo, Popo, I'm going to eat it with. Hey, Cardio, bro, I was sitting here thinking about the other day. But remember we did that? We raced to see who can finish that Chipotle and we about passed out. Man, we almost died doing that, man. Bring up, some, bring up some good challenges when we was freaking roommates. Pretty much all our college careers, definitely um, on campus in the dorm and stuff like that. But enough of that, man. Let's jump into some Ohio State football, man. The big news this upcoming week, well, this past week has been the Times has been uh, came out for some of these games, and clearly the biggest one that everyone got circled the first game of the season versus Oregon. A noon kickoff. Fox is known for messing up some freaking kickoffs. <laughs> Come on, man. Oregon, Ohio State, noon. Are you look, kidding? Look, hold on now. First of all, Ohio State got the advantage. I mean, they we, they coming to us, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. All right, so that that's nine o'clock to them. No, you know we, you know. I, Listen, I, I want I, the prime time last camera feel it. to everybody feel watching. But I mean, it is a great way to start the season off, though. I mean, early, you know, and um, but I, I still like the prime time games. I mean, we played in so many noon games, three thirty, and then of course some night games. Looking back at some of the games we played in, what was your favorite atmosphere when it came to time? Okay, so honestly, I I didn't mind the noon games at all because. I mean, yeah, we got up at six, but I mean, I'm an early riser anyways. So like the six o'clock didn't bother me. But, you know, we got to we got to play the game. We whooped whoever we was playing. And then we still had the rest of the day to do, you know, to hang, hang out. You know, after yeah. the night games, you know, now, don't get me wrong. The atmosphere of the night games is crazy. Like it's some of the best. stuff. But then you got to wait around all day. And I just be like anxious to go. So like for the noon games, it's like you get up. Let's go. Like it's you ain't got really time to think about nothing. We get straight to it. And yeah, for sure. So that I I didn't mind noon games. I mean, I'm pretty sure they might feel the same way. Like I'm like they just let's get to it. You ain't got to wait around. Ain't no time to waste. Nothing. Let's go. Yeah, for sure. No, my favorite games was definitely ironically was noon or three thirty, just because most likely three thirty. Because I mean, noon you get to, I mean three thirty you get to sleep in a little bit, but the night games, like you said, yeah, you love the atmosphere, but just the routine of waking up. And the build up to getting to that eight o'clock kickoff, it was all horrible. it's all day. <laughs> you had to sit up horrible. in the room. Like, you had to sit up in the room all day. Yeah, we had so many extra meetings. Like with them yeah. new games, it ain't no extra meeting. Like you, you either got bam, it or bam, 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 bam. Let's get this thing started. But no, for, for sure for me, like you said before, brother, three thirty games was great because you know you got you got a routine and it happens pretty fast. And you probably walking over to the stadium for the black wall or if this is a away game. About you know you probably pulling up about noon, probably one at the latest, and and you starting your routine as you are getting ready for the game. And after the game, you gotta. Three almost four hour game. You got time to really decompress, hang out, 
go back, relax, and then whatever you guys are going to do that night, hang out with your boys. And you know how me and you were. We always had guys over because we had both of the freaking gaming system at the time. So yeah. it was always a great time. Then And then after, like you said, like, like you said before, after, you know, night games, 8 o'clock games, It'd be like you back to your place. It's yeah, like one in the car. It's like one in the morning. There's no real time to hang out with family to see them and things like that. So I will definitely have to pick my favorite kickoff when we were in school was 3:30. But golly, man, it's always tough for a West Coast team to come all the way across country and play a noon game or a really early game like this, just because of the time difference. Yeah, that you know, we. I mean, bad. like I said, we go had an advantage point that that nine a.m. I mean, I'm pretty sure, like as a coaching staff, they definitely gonna make them practice early. Like if if it can happen, I don't know, it might interf- interfere with their uh, college schedules. But if they can, I'm sure they're gonna try to find a way to, you know, at least let them see what it's like to play that early. Yeah, it's tough though, but because I remember playing uh, with L.A. Chargers and flying all the way across country to play the New England Patriots for one o'clock playoff game. And just thinking about the time difference and, and things like that. And at that time, I think that the stats still hold true. No West Coast team have ever in the playoffs went to play a one o'clock game on the East Coast and won. And you can see a lot of different factors. Yeah, you can see a lot of different factors playing that part. But man, I'm going to feel sorry for Oregon after we crush them, clearly. Uh, <laughs> you going you to feel bad for you? I mean, they're they going to start pretty much at 3 a.m. to their on, on their time, you know, getting up pretty roughly around 6, 6.30. You they know, gonna be, you know, you know they're going to be fired up because I don't think we haven't played them since, since Cincinnati. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they mad about that. <laughs> That's a good point. But this ain't Dallas. This ain't this ain't uh, AT&T Stadium. It's a, different, it's a different atmosphere walking to the shoot. Yeah, you right about and, that. Uh, this, these guys going to be uh, – hopefully, you know, they're leaning towards – the fact of having a full capacity at the shoe. So these guys can walk into a very hostile environment, not a 50 50 like it was the national championship game, more like a, a 98 to 2. <laughs> so we'll see. I'm excited for those guys, but leading into that game, man, um, we always talk about what players need to be ready. What coaches do you think has the biggest chips on their shoulder entering this 2021 season and pretty much having something to prove, not just to themselves, but to them players, as you getting ready and, and to us as fans and to us as Buckeye nation, what, what coaches well, I are, mean, are, are, are off the bat, off the bat is coach Combs for sure. I mean, that's, he was the defensive coordinator last year. And obviously, you know, the, the, the defense didn't look like the silver bullets, you know, you know, they had moments where they could have been, but as an overall defense, you know, it wasn't up to par. So, like, a lot of people were shunning Coach Combs, like, like, ah, maybe this might be too much for him. Maybe he just be – he should only be a position coach or something like that. So, I think for him, you know, I'm pretty sure – even though Coach Combs is really good at ignoring noise, he he knows. Like, he knows what he got to do. And I think he's going to step up this year and, and try to get back to that top silver bullet defense because, I mean, he has to. And then another coach is – um. Coach Johnson, you know, Coach Johnson, he has all the intangibles that a coach needs to be a D coordinator and even be a head coach, you know. So I think he just wanted to continue to build on that, you know. Like, I don't know, because I know he wanted to be probably a co-D coordinator. I don't know how that worked out. I'm pretty sure he still gives input because Coach Combs is a very open coach. But, you know, it's different when you don't have the title. So I'm pretty sure he's going to coach his butt off to, you know, show the world. And if if – even if Ohio State isn't where he ends up, because uh, he he definitely deserves to be a head coach somewhere. I mean, the guy is one of the best in the business for sure, and he can definitely impact the team. 
I think one day he will be a head coach somewhere. And this is kind of him auditioning himself and getting himself ready for to fit that role too. Yeah, for sure. And then looking back at Coach Johnson's experience as the head coach last year when Coach Data dealt with some COVID issues and then, you know, he went up to Michigan State and put a whooping on them and dealing with so many guys out, but still was able to put, a, put together a great game plan and rally around, you know, and lean on his coaching staff, you know, at that point. And that was his guy, that was his team for that week as the head duck. I mean, mm-hmm. he did an unbelievable job. And yes, I think he, he did. Was, you yes, know, the first African-American head coach at you know, the Buckeyes, even though it was for only for a week, but I hey, think we celebrate. I celebrate it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> celebrate I there. Think, yeah, I definitely think his future is bright when it comes to, you know, taking that next step in his coaching career. And um, he is one of the guys that I was going to mention as one of the coaches that I think a little bit of pressure is on him because he walked into a situation in Ohio State. He always had great pass rushers, one or two great pass rushers on each team. And you haven't seen in the last, you know, year, year and a half because of, you know, the departure of Chase Young, you know, NFL defensive rookie of the year. Um, so now I think he has a real challenge on his hands to, to continue to develop that next guy. For sure. And we don't know who that is. I mean, For when sure. the last time we walked into an Ohio State season not knowing who's going to be that dominant pass rushing threat? It's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a while. Even though going into that season last year, we thought, you know, Jonathan Cooper at times showed some promise and, and got off the ball and got uh, created some pressure, but it wasn't just that used to me. Uh, yeah. I mean, they, he, to the chase yeah, he had a, he had a productive group, but it wasn't, yeah. you know, that, that game changing group that has always been like, you well, know, that they, game changing, that game changing, game changing player, player, yeah, exactly, I should say. Exactly. Exactly. But my coach who is on my personal, not necessarily hot seat, who I'm keeping my eye on is I'm going to switch sides of the ball a little bit, but I'm going with Brian Hartline. I mean, a guy that played Ohio State, a guy that played in the league, a guy that keep, getting these top recruits. I remember when they first hired him and uh, um, <clears throat> Mike, his brother was a quarterback GA with us. Yep. And Brian was just that. finishing up his, yeah, Mike was, well, Brian was just finishing up his NFL career and yep. didn't know he wanted to get into coaching. And he was doing some, a few things before he uh, had the opportunity to coach under Zach Smith at Ohio State as a receiver, pretty much um, intern. And before he got his opportunity, when, um, the, when the program decided to depart from Zach Smith. And I remember how many critics that he had because he wasn't a guy that was a proven guy when it came to the coaching aspect but one thing you can't coach one thing you can't teach is experience That's and he fact. had that plan not just at the highest level of college but also the highest level in, in football period mm-hmm. so but you know that always don't pan out for him to make a great coach he's a hell of a recruiter he's a great coach you see some of these guys he's getting in i mean of the last four years he's he getting the five star top, every year dude yeah, last, <laughs> he's the last top dude yeah, the last three, four years, he had, the, he had the number one receiver in each class. And he's creating a lot of opportunities, creating a lot of competition in that group and in that room. And I just want to say, I wonder what the heck he's telling these kids and telling these guys to get these guys to come in at Ohio State when they already had the number one receiver for the last three years on top of guys that's there that's performing at an extremely high level. So he's creating a lot of competition in that room. And he I want to see is. how – I want to see how he can sustain that. I want to see how he's going to take those guys getting to the next level and get those guys to buy in to, okay, hey, yeah, you're the number one guy in high school. Walking into here, you're walking into a, a situation where the year before this guy was the one guy in high school on top of, hey, guess what? We got two guys this year going to be probably number one, number two receivers in the country this year. Yeah. So how are you going to get those guys to buy in to the Ohio State ways to the Brian Hartline culture that he developed in that receiver room? And I'm excited to see it, man. So he's kind of on my, like I said before, I don't want to call it hot seat, but 
I, I gotta know what he's selling these guys. <laughs> they're, they're definitely buying. Listen, I think. Listen, the man, the man got the wide receiver position, the top tier for the next four or five. It's actually longer than that. That man. Yeah, I don't know what he's doing, but whatever he's doing, it's working. So yeah, he, he's doing this thing, and he's he's another guy that you know I can see after this year, depending on the success of the team, that his name is going to get thrown out sure. there as a potential coordinator one day. Yeah, I see for sure. Yeah, um, you know I don't know how much input he have on the offense right now thus far at the at the Buckeyes, but you, you can tell that he's going to be the next guy, young and up and cupping coach. You think of like you see these, um, golly, what was my guy name? That had Joe Burrow in LSU. Now he's in the NFL. Joe Burrow? Yeah. Brady. Yeah, Joe Brady that, you know, he just proven himself at a young age. You can tell he's coaching above his uh, – way past his his age, you know, after his experience. So yeah. I think Harlan be that next guy that, you know, we hear from in the next year or so that's going to be like, oh, my God, he just took an unbelievable jump. In yeah. his coaching career. And you know, that's definitely becoming a new trend, it's, especially with the NFL. This The coaches is getting younger. It's like a lot of young guys who's in their 30s that's becoming head coaches, and they're actually doing really well. So, you yeah. know, definitely for sure. It, could, it definitely could happen. I'm sure everything that happens in the NFL tends to trickle down to college. So Yeah, yeah. and then you start to see – you start to see when you have these younger coaches, and, I, and, and especially in college, I look at it as this, you know, I have a young coach that's – still can get out there and show me what oh that you respect that a thousand yeah yeah that that, so, like that right there before, sells a lot oh for sure like i said before and then and the guy like heartline is proven on on the highest level of football on top of a guy like you can't substitute experience mm-hmm. you know it's one thing to get up on the board and show x's and o's but when he can go out there and really like i said before show you show it yeah what he mean and how it should look still at you know in his mid-30s then I me, mean, I'm pretty sure that's enticing to any recruiting that he going to sit and sit in these kids' um, living rooms and dining rooms and, and selling the dream of Ohio State. So, kudos I mean, to him. It ain't that hard to sell that dream. I'll tell you that right now. Like, sure. it's, it's Ohio State. At the end of the day. You gonna be in the you gonna be in the championship talk every year. I mean, it's just you could be that guy that we need that helps us hold that trophy up at the end. I mean, it's really not that hard of a sales pitch. Yeah, for sure. But- and then transitioning from coaches to pretty much back to the players, what's group? Put what's position group that you think, in your personal opinion, has the most to prove slash who has to step up the most when it comes to carrying this team? Because we lost so much into the NFL draft, we lost our whole backfield with Trey Sermon and Justin Fields, and so it's going to be a lot of pressure on the quarterback and the running back to pretty much try to pick up some of that production that those guys were so much responsible for. Yeah. Which group is going to ease that, pretty much ease that pain and make it easier for them to walk into the starting role? And they don't have to be on offense. Who's going to ease oh, that? I, I know when I stepped in, <laughs> trust and believe the defense eased a lot of pain for me. I, said, I ain't got to do nothing. <laughs> and I, I can be guys on the other side of the ball. I can be, I can be a position group on the other side of the ball. So like a, uh, I, let's see. The position group that eases a lot of the pain. Well, I mean, obviously. That's I know, going to this upcoming year for this team. I, I mean, I know that the receivers is going to. Like, like I, I know that we're going to lean on them because that's our – right now that's kind of like our strongest group is our receivers. But 
the team that can totally carry this team would, it would have to be the D-line. I mean, if the D-line get if, – if Coach Johnson get the D-line to play like – if he can find that that gym, that one guy and bring that greatness out, like that game-changing guy, like it, it makes the whole game – because you think about it. That guy's going to stop the – he's going to put a lot of pressure on quarterbacks to force bad passes, which then helps the secondary look really good because all they got to do is play tight defense for a couple of seconds. Uh, if he if you back their cause of havoc, that stops the run game. You know, they we got to run away from you. Now our defense is playing to, you know, we're going to put this – we're going to put our star defense in on this side, our D tackle on this side, and force them to run to this side. We're going to put everybody over there knowing that they're going to run to that side. Boom, we're going to crash the run. Um, as far as the offense goes, I mean, if he's making plays like that, you know, he's going to force some strip sacks. He's going to get the ball. He's going to force interceptions. So now the offense is going to get more plays with the ball and it's going to help people like whoever the starting quarterback may be out because he's going to have the ball in his hands. It's going to allow him to get more comfortable. So I think a D, uh, always a D in D tackle, whatever, somebody on the D line always can carry a team. Okay. Personal opinion, Tyrus Powell. And if, and I ain't even being biased because I usually I should say if they got a, a Tyrus Powell on their team in the East, but I ain't even going to even go there. No, I definitely see where you. I'm picking at what you put down. I mean, I like the fact that you picked the defensive line, but I'm gonna have to go with the receivers on this aspect because you got the most guys returning, the most experience returning on the team is is in that group, is in that room. So and then and then also that's the obvious that. answer. It's the yeah, obvious sure. answer. It's the obvious answer, but you look at the track record and you look at a guy like when Dwayne Haskins took over for JT Barrett. You look at the situation Dwayne walked into. He walked into a lot of fourth and fifth year senior receivers and a younger guy, KJ Hill, who ended up setting the record for the highest state of most receptions in his career. Shout it out was to you, like, KJ. Yeah, it was almost like just put the ball in these guys' area. Outside of Clearly, Dwayne had all the tools to be a great quarterback and he threw for 50-plus touchdowns that year. But he walked into a situation where I want to say it was – I don't want to say it was hard to fail, but he walked into a situation where he didn't have to be the guy. Yeah, we was looking for the guy as a quarterback, but yeah. he didn't have to be the guy. He didn't have to be that unbelievable Dwayne Haskins that we saw that was throwing for 350, 400-plus yards a game. And like I said before, over 50-plus touchdowns. Oh, wait, these guys doubling all my guys. Guess what? Um, JK, <clears throat> JK Dobbins, huh? take it down the field. Yeah. So we they, these guys will be walking to a position where the quarter, the receivers will take a lot of this. Oh, I need to be spectacular from off the shoulders of that quarterback or whoever the running back is going to be. For so, sure. um, but I do get where you're coming from when you said the defensive line is hard to pick. Um, uh, one guy, clearly the guy that everyone is going to keep that eye on this year is Haskell Garrett. And, um, but man, from an interior aspect, man, it's hard. I mean, yeah. to be a dominant – like, I don't remember too many inside interior defensive linemen on the college level being that guy, being so dominant. You're like, oh, you got to for this. I was about to say that. Dominic Kinsu was that. He was that deal. Other than two years back before we were even in college, man. Um, but – Far as, yeah, that's the only guy I can think of. Far as the interior, lines. yeah, it is. That's what I so, say. But if 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 Haskell can pull that off, like it would, man. I'm not like, gonna say he needs to be the. Uh, no, I ain't, no, I ain't, I ain't but, saying that. But, yeah, yeah, but yeah, now, if he can he make, I put it to you this way: if he can make one big game changer play a game, 
like like just getting the quarterback's face to force a bad pass or strip something like that that changes that flip a whole season like all we need oh, is sure. one time oh for sure man that because that's one extra possession that you know their their offense don't get to get and exactly get so and that can always be huge but man I appreciate you seeing what I see. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Day, man, I might. I'm gonna put my. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna throw my cleats up on the wire and pick up my coaching. My coaching shoes. I'm gonna wear some. <laughs> I'm gonna wear them Air Monarchs. You know, that's when you know oh, you officially God. old and retired. <laughs> that day you step into the coaching world, trust and believe, I'm gonna be a biggest critic. You should arrange. Blitz. Blitz. What's it doing? So yeah, looking forward to that. But man. Well, thanks for joining us. Another week of Roommates, another episode of Roommates with myself, Cardio Jones, and Tyvis Powell. Until next time, we catch you guys later.